This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Nervous? Yes. First time? No, I've been nervous lots of times. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how hard is your life? Has that held you back financially? We'll dive into hardships and money with a woman who is known for her informative money chats, Tiffany Grant. And also, let's welcome an amazing guy. It's the man who created the number one budgeting app in the world. Ah, scratch that. We just got Len Penzo. And let's say hello to the man who's always looking for ways to invest smarter. It's Doc G. But that's not all. Halfway through the show, I'll feed you with my savory trivia question. And now, a guy who orders milk at restaurants like a psycho, it's Joe Hi. Hey there, stackers. I was this many years old when I found out that apparently you're not supposed to do that. Like, there's something in the guidebook that says, don't, maybe a manual I didn't get that says, don't order milk at restaurants. Doug, you're looking at yeah, me like... I mean, everybody knows if you're over 9 or 10 years old, you can't order milk at a restaurant. It's like, you're like a serial killer to do that, Joe. I can't figure out why not. Did you hear the joke? Did you hear the joke about the guy that uh, pulled over to pick up a hitchhiker and the hitchhiker goes, says, uh, uh, man, I'm surprised you picked me up. I could have been a serial killer. Guy driving the car goes, no, that'd be quite a coincidence having two serial killers in one car. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> I tried no, to hold the back, one. but I couldn't. <laughs> is, it, is this thing on? We, we, we got a great show today. We're going to introduce our guest of honor in just a second. I got to get this thing moving. Len Penzo, I believe, is here from his bunker deep under Los Angeles. Len, how are you, man? I'm great. I, and I did want to point out, you know, the milk thing. It's like, I to me, it's even worse when you order cereal at a restaurant for like for breakfast. That to me, that is the uh, ultimate weirdness. More so than you mean, milk. Like having somebody else pour your cornflakes for you? Yes. I knew you were going to say that, Joe. I just <laughs> so knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's an echo. Deja vu is a very real phenomenon. <laughs> For everybody did this sound home, really? Did to, this sound spontaneous? <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to play this off like this is all brand new, but we got about 15 minutes in, everybody, and we realized that we were not recording. So, for us, <laughs> this is the our second time through this discussion. Just fascinating, isn't it, Len? Fascinating. The cornflakes. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, I think uh, we're going to talk about hardships today, but if uh, somebody is having somebody else pour their, uh, pour their cornflakes, maybe they need a little bit more hardship in their life. Next up, the man from the Windy City is here, the host of the Earn Invest podcast, Doc G. How are you, man? Do you order milk at restaurants? I certainly don't because I have lactose intolerance and I think that would be more torture on everyone around me than it would be a pleasure for me myself. But I'm wondering how, of all the psychotic things you do on a daily basis, Joe, Doug picked the milk thing. (laughs) (laughs) That was the one. That's where the line is, Doc G. That was the one of all the stuff he does. There's one telltale sign (laughs) that you should run away fast. It's milk at a restaurant as an adult. (laughs) <laughs> I had no idea. Woman wondering why the heck she's here. And it's not to talk about lactose intolerance, believe it or not. She is the queen by Money Talk with Tiff. Tiffany Grant joins us. How are you, Tiffany? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I can see I'm going to uh, get an ab workout. So you, good to be here. <laughs> well, yeah, you're going to get a, a workout and repeating everything over and over and over because we don't even know how to record. This is how the pros do it, Tiff. I don't know if you know this. This is exactly how the pros do it. Taking notes, taking notes. So my milk thing, I'll say it again. Um, (laughs) And we'll act surprised. We'll be surprised. (laughs) So (laughs) to keep that milk theme going, I've never ordered milk in a restaurant, but I've been lactose intolerant my whole life. So that's probably You're kidding. Really? (laughs) Wow. We had no idea. So for the, it's about time that we finally had you on. We've known each other for quite a while, but tell everybody about Money Talk with Tiff because you're juggling a lot of stuff, but one of those things is a podcast. People should hit pause, subscribe, or follow your podcast. But let's talk, what happens at Money Talk with Tiff? Yeah, so we have a lot of fun. Um, If you see this personality, no, I'm just kidding. Um, But Money Talk with Tiff is a financial education podcast. And so we cover the gamut. I have interviews, I also do solo episodes, but we talk about all things money, all things business. The premise is the way out of poverty is ideas. So I figure the more ideas I can spread, the more people can be helped and we can go forth and prosper. So you'll find a smorgasbord of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, uh, just looking at your your last episodes, I switch careers and so can you. So for people wanting to switch careers, what job market trends are forging our future? And then one, we're going to talk about struggles today, Tiff. We're going to talk about struggling with money. But uh, you had on a gentleman who's a playwright, a poet, but he was homeless. He really struggled with money. Yes, yes. And that was Adrian Quarles. That was his second time on the podcast. The first time we talked about mental health and homelessness. And this time he came back because now he puts on plays locally. Um, He's doing a lot of big things in the community. And during COVID, he actually put on some virtual ones. So that was interesting. That it's so a virtual play. What's that? What's that all about, Tiffany? He said <laughs> as if he never asked you that question before. All right. So a virtual play. Um, <laughs> it was very interesting. Um, you know, it was all over Zoom, and all the actors and actresses they had their scripts uh, memorized. It was just like a regular play, but just virtual. Um, so it was like a acted out podcast, I guess you could it, call it, like a radio drama kind of thing. Like a table read. Wow. Uh, it's actually uh, so impressive if, how much of this you are remembering word for word from the first time we did it. <laughs> Can we just stop and talk about your short-term memory has no issues, Joe, because this is remarkable. Maybe maybe that's the psychotic thing right there, Doug. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Uh, but, but Tiffany, when they do these radio plays, would they stop it like right about here and do this? This episode sponsored by State Farm. 
You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Would they stop it right there and do that? Would they put the ad there? I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert, but <laughs> sure. Now you can tell we're at the part where we caught the recording. So now we're back into the real thing. Here. Yeah. So now we're in new territory, which means uh, <laughs> I think I think they probably, Doug, wouldn't have put one here either. No, they wouldn't do that. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Oh, but we would. And we just did. <laughs> T- Tiffany's here. Doc G's here. Len. You know how like you're with a friend and you're trying to get out of doing something, so you'll you'll say to the other, like, just go with me, just follow me, just you know, just take my lead. Don't ever do that with Tiffany. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work. I need like all the background. Tip. <laughs> right. All right, guys, uh, we got Tiffany, neighbor Doug, Doc G, Len. Let's get moving. All right, our piece that I use for inspiration for today's chat is from uh, Douglas Soy, and it's uh, from his Money and Meaning blog. And I know, Doc G, you read this blog often. I do. I've actually had him on this show, and we talked about, of all things, psychedelics and financial independence. Oh, wow. He is an amazing, amazing guy, just really, really thoughtful. Yeah, this piece is called Life Will Always Be Hard. And of course, the big lesson is, is that life is hard for a lot of people. And I'm wondering, Tiffany, we'll start with you as the guest. Uh, When you started off with money before you were coaching people, was there ever a time in your life when money was really hard? Absolutely. Um, Is there anybody? Well, no, that's a lie. I I know there is. Yeah, for sure. I was a teen mom. So I had my first son when I was what 18. From then on, I realized that, hey, Tiffany, you really need to get your stuff together because you have a little mouth that depends on you now. So, you know, prior to that, actually, I had a car payment at 16 because my mom said, oh, you have a job. Here you go. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) I never had seen the statistics around teen moms and teen dads but financially now tiffany maybe you've seen these too the statistics are are not great like in terms of economic well-being so just the fact that you went from teen mom to be able to teach people about money is pretty pretty amazing 
Yeah, for sure. Um, when I got pregnant with my son, I was a senior in high school and a lot of people told me I wouldn't be able to do anything. I go flip burgers, you know, that type of thing, which there's nothing wrong with flipping burgers if that's what you like to do. But a lot of people would tell me that. And I'm the type of person where if you tell me I'm not going to be able to do something, I go ahead and do it. Um, and so that's kind of just the attitude that I have about life. Yeah, I want to definitely, we're going to dive into that today. Doc G, I think you and I have talked about this before. Y- you really haven't had a struggle with money at any time in your life, have you? I've got a little bit of that generational trauma, but not a lot distantly. So my grandma actually was born during the depression and she was put up for adoption because her mom died during the flu pandemic in the 1918 era. So she handed on some of that trauma actually about not having food available, those kind of things. But interestingly enough, you know, I remember back when my father died, I was seven years old. He was a doctor, but hadn't got to that point in his career where he saved a lot of money. My mom was lucky enough to have been just finishing business school. So she was doing an internship at a big CPA firm and they gave her a job. But, you know, my mom was planning on literally selling our house, moving into an apartment, and that was how she was going to fund us going to college. She eventually got remarried. She did really well with her business. My stepfather had a business. They ended up making a lot of money. So I didn't have a lot of financial trauma, but I remember the fear and the anxiety my mom had. In fact, I remember when my stepsister graduated for college, my stepfather wanted to take the whole family out to like a five-star restaurant, and it was exceedingly expensive. But they had plenty of money, right? They were two very successful business people. And I remember my mom having a panic attack at this idea that we're going to spend that much on dinner because of, I think, a lot of that trauma. And I remember that trauma as a kid of just worrying where was the money going to come now that my dad had passed away. Wow. Len, you came from a family that really struggled with money, I think. Yeah, they did. Um, Matter of fact, I think I've told the story before. I think there was a couple times when I was a teenager where my Folks borrowed money from me. They actually borrowed money from me. I, you know, I had a, a pretty good job. I was working at a grocery store. And back then, you know, you could raise a family on what they paid grocery store clerks. <laughs> I was making some good money as a teenager, and they borrowed from me. But you know, I do remember there were times when they were late paying the bills and threatened to have the water shut off on our house. I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys. Where if you're late on that bill, they come up and they put a notice on your front lawn. It's like they don't even, you know, it's like the whole world knows you're late on your water bill, you know? So you had to go through that kind of shameful event every once in a while, you know, everybody knows, oh, your parents haven't paid their water bill. So yeah, it was a struggle for them, which is maybe why ever since I've always oversaved and been over risk, overly risk averse. So I think that kind of, that's one of the things why I am so um, save, 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 and always have this huge cushion of money because you never know what's going to happen. That's funny. In this piece, they talk about your money script. And Tiffany, your money script started a certain way, but I thought it was interesting how you grabbed a hold of that money script and said, hey, if you tell me I can't, then I definitely do. Have you really worked through your whole money script? And when you work with people, do you talk about that as foundational like Douglas does in this piece? Absolutely. Because really money is more emotional and psychological than people realize. It's not really the physical aspect of spending, saving, you know, whatever you're doing with it. It's really internal stuff that you have to work through. So it took me a while to even like connect the dots. For instance, I'm a super saver like Lynn. And the reason is because, you know, A, being the team mom, but then also seeing my immediate family go through bankruptcies and foreclosures and also seeing 
that they were heavy spenders. So I'm like, okay, if heavy spending is is what gets you here, then I want to take the complete opposite route and I want to be a super saver. But what I've also come to realize and learn is that being a super saver isn't good either because all you're doing is perpetuating these money scripts and financial traumas that you've been through. And so really you want to find a middle ground um, between the super saver and the super spender. And that could potentially be your happy place. So it took a lot of internal work and I do a lot of internal work with my clients because that's really, really where it all starts. Yeah. It's funny, Doc G when she's talking about being a super saver, that's kind of where your, your mom was. I mean, but money was coming in the front door, but she was super afraid to let it go. Her money script was definitely uh, forged. Oh, for sure. I mean, there was a scarcity mindset and you know, it's telling because it sounds like all three of us had very different upbringings with very different stresses. And yet the end product is some of that frugality and the, some of that scarcity mindset and some of that fear. And it kind of gets, I think, to what Douglas is talking about a little bit in his piece is we don't live each other's experience. We only live our own experience. And therefore, we can only compare harder times with better times in our own lives we can't look at what someone else has lived through and said, gosh, what you lived through is so hard, so I'm going to look at my own experience and not be traumatized by it. It doesn't work that way. We're traumatized by what we go through. There's a relativity there, but we only know what each one of us goes through. So our very three different upbringings of the three of us here you know, on this show, but we had some common threads and it traumatized us in some of the same ways. Yeah. Len, it's interesting, you know, with you becoming a super saver because your parents didn't save, have you ever found times when you thought about what Tiffany's talking about? Maybe I was saving too much. Maybe I, I need to loosen up the purse strings a little bit. Yeah. I think when I, we had our kids, that's when I realized it's like, you know what, it's time to let loosen some of this money you've got and spend it and go on vacations and do things because I eventually I came to the realization and I, it seems obvious, but life is meant for living and, you know, money is a tool to help you live. Right. And if you're just holding on to that and you're not spending what you're, you're earning from your, you know, the fruits of your labor, you know, why are you, why are you working? You know, th that's why we work. We work to live, to spend money and to enjoy life. So, you know, you have to, there's a balance there. And it took me a while to, to learn that. Tiffany, you have family around you that is experiencing bankruptcy, so you're experiencing all the motions of that. You've got another mouth to feed besides yours. You're working. You're going to, I mean, you're juggling so many different things. I don't know. I'm just thinking about people listening to this podcast now. There's probably some people listening to this podcast now that are really struggling, and they're like, well, it's easy to be philosophical now. But it also seems to me that that you were kind of philosophical at that time. Like, how did you... How did you have the wherewithal to think outside of this, this world of, I just got to bring in a paycheck today so people eat? <laughs> Joe did not pay me to say this, but I used to listen to the Stack and Benjamin show every single day. I used to Brilliant. listen to- Brilliant. You're amazing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's That's real it. though. <laughs> She'll be back. It's real though. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to welcome our new weekly contributor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You will no. not be hearing Paula Payne anymore on the show ever again. 
No, but seriously, for real, I used to listen to a bunch of financial podcasts, um, read Money Magazine, Kemplinger Personal Finance, different finance blogs, all of that stuff, and just dove into all of that information. And, you know, they always say when you know better, you do better. Not quite. You know, you can you can learn as much as you want, but it's the implementation. And for me, I grew up with this philosophy where I just do, right? So instead of ready, aim, fire, I fire, ready, aim, or something like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> you get the point. And everybody ducks. So, <laughs> everybody ducks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like I was able to get all the education that I needed and therefore take the necessary risks and things that other people were honestly scared, more scared than I was. So for instance, whenever I needed to, you know, when the year rolls around and they're doing all the increases, usually it's like 3%. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna see if I can get another job. And I used to give myself raises, but that was because I had the financial education and also having my budget, you know, my money in order where I'm like, I know how much I need to survive. Let me see if I can get more. I feel like that is another piece. Like when you're constantly in a state of having to put food on the table and things like that, you can't really think creatively. Um, you can't really think past that situation. So it's definitely a lot of internal work. I'm very woo-woo. <laughs> I tell my audience I'm very woo-woo because I do a lot of this internal work um, for myself. So, But yeah. it is funny. But Back when I was a financial planner, though, Tiff, to your point, everybody wanted to get to the fun stuff, the sexy stuff, the investing, the, the you know, hey, let's get saving money. Let's get, and I'm like, if we don't work through all this stuff first, it's going to kick our butt. Night of people go, okay, all right, whatever. And then later on, once they saw that that informed every decision we made, being a little woo-woo up front is the, is the perfect place. But, but, but I, I just have to ask, you know, Money Magazine, financial podcasts, like getting into all this stuff, how did you find it? I mean, how did you all of a sudden one day hit on this gold mine of surround sound? Honestly, I've always been like money conscious, at least a little bit. So like I remember being like six and cutting coupons, <laughs> like nobody ever used them. But I just like going through the motions and I'm like, I'm looking at them and I'm like, these little pieces of paper are worth like a dollar. Oh, like, yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, and so I have always been money conscious. And even when I was 16, you know, I'm grateful that my mom was like, here's your car payment, because I became one of those extreme couponers, like the ones that you see on TV. That was me at like 16. I would have a shopping cart full of stuff for like $20. And the cashiers are like, who the heck is this kid? <laughs> like, But it, it's just for me. And after knowing more of my story, my dad was a heavy couponer. I didn't know that at the time, but it just goes to show that a lot of this stuff can perpetuate through generations as well. I just thought that was interesting just looking back how, because nobody else on my mom's side who I was living with, nobody couponed. Like they would look at my little piece of paper, like, what do we need what this for? Doing? Swipe? Uh, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but seeing that my dad was heavy into saving money and very frugal as I got older, I was like, ah, so that's where I get it from. But it's just interesting to see how these different cycles can happen. Douglas, uh, Doc G dives into this idea of pain. And he talks about some of the pain that Tiffany was talking about earlier. Len was talking about, you're talking about, and he's got this great phrase where he says, I've come to see that whatever pain life has given me, it was mine to carry and hopefully transmute. Yeah. Is he saying, I think what he's saying is the pain is good. The pain is actually good. I don't even think he's saying the pain is good. I think what he's saying is the pain is there. 
whether you want to ascribe goodness or badness to it. I mean, listen, no one really escapes unscathed. We all carry our trauma with us, and it's silly to think you won't. What really makes the difference between someone who's probably successful and happy and lives the life they want to live is what type of meaning do we ascribe to that trauma, to that pain? People who tend to be happy and to move forward tend to take care of their money and take care of their lives. They tend to look at the pain of their past and they ascribe meaning of being a hero who climbed out of this bad situation and made the best of what they had. And so if you can take that pain, which all of us carry, and find some real meaning in it, I think it propels you forward to feel much better about your present and future. And once you start feeling good about your present and future, it's easier to save, right? It's easier to ask for that raise. It's easier to then start doing those things that are really healthy for us. Let me take this from a, to, from another angle. Now, this might sound cliche, obviously. Life is a journey and and it's how what kind of lessons we learn from our lives. So, so far we've taken this from, okay, we've been poor, we've had some trauma financially, all of us here have, and it affected us how we treated money going forward. In the opposite direction, it works as well. And if you don't learn the mm. lessons in the opposite direction, it's just as bad. For example, somebody who's grown up in a wealthy family where money is always available and you're young growing up, a lot of people will not learn you can't just spend money. Uh, you know, people go bankrupt who are wealthy because they can't control the true, themselves. The true value of a dollar you're talking about, right? So there's no lesson. So even if you do come from a family with money, there's a lesson to be learned that you have to learn, or you're going to learn it the hard way going forward. Usually, it goes both ways. So, and there are lessons that have to be learned, and you have to, you know, you have to learn from both directions. One of his key points in here, Tiffany, is just the concept of gratitude about having gratitude for everything that happens, no matter what it is. Do, do you feel gratitude toward those early struggle days that you had? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I'm grateful that my mom said, here's, <laughs> here's a car note for you um, now that you have some money coming in, because it taught me how to, you know, at least have a smidgen of budgeting. It taught me how to make my money stretch. So that's why I turned into an extreme couponer. Because I mean, when you're a kid, your parents pay for everything. So, you know, I was wearing all the name brands, you know, all of that stuff. But then when it came time for me to pay Whole for it, I'm story. like, okay, need to slow down on the, <laughs> right. <laughs> let's pause for a minute and let's see how much money you really have. Um, so I was grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for all of life experiences and, you know, kind of to Doc G and Lynn's point, life is not what happens to you. Life is your reaction to it. Right. So how you react to what happens to you is what shapes your trajectory and what shapes where you end up. There's a lot of things that we all go through, but really how we reacted to those things is what's shaping our future. Going back to your question, gratitude. I practice gratitude every single day. Um, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. I always see a silver lining. <laughs> Even when I had COVID, <laughs> back when COVID was there, I was like, you know what? I'm grateful that I had asthma my whole life because it taught me what I needed to do when I had COVID, you know? Um, and so I took that negative and turned it into a positive. And that's something that I practice all day, every day, um, because even us sitting here talking, even the listener that's listening right now and breathing and listening to this conversation, that's something to be thankful for. That is abundance, you know? And so for me, I'm just grateful for all of the moments in my life and all of the lessons that I had to go through and that I learned from. But you know, Tiffany, how at least it was for me, I, I can't speak for you. 
It was damn hard sometimes to have gratitude for the moment I was in. I was just like, this sucks so incredibly bad. But I do feel like once I got some gratitude, that things got better much faster. Absolutely. Because you can go on a negative autopilot where, let's say, for instance, you wake up in the morning and you're, let's say, on the wrong side of the bed. I know that's cliche, but let's just say that's what happens. You wake up, you're like, oh, how did I get over here? Oh, stuck my toe. Oh, like, so everything throughout that day now is negative. But if you just woke up and said, you know, I'm on the wrong side of the bed, but it's okay. I have a bed. I have somewhere where I get to lay my head. Then now you can be on positive autopilot for the rest of the day. And honestly, even though I'm so full of gratitude, I'm usually very positive. There's times even before we hit record today, I'm like, the first time or second time? (laughs) (laughs) Before all the times. But I was just sitting there like, dang, what the heck? Because I started a PhD program and I'm like, wow, I think I bit off more than I can chew. And I was almost in tears. But I said, you know what? I'm grateful for all of these opportunities that I have. And then I started being able to think strategically about how I'm going to get all of this done. I think what Tiffany is talking about really does echo a lot of what Douglas is saying. It's this idea that when you ascribe meaning to your trauma, you turn that kind of generational trauma into generational growth which is actually exactly what you're doing with gratitude is you're you're almost giving a bit of thankfulness for the struggle because the struggle is what hopefully gets you to this higher place today and and I think that's a lot of what Douglas is trying to also Len, say. Len to close out the first uh, half of this discussion Douglas writes we don't study money to study money we study money to study ourselves. Do you agree with that that the that money's just a reflection of studying who we are? Uh that's a good question. Um you know, money is entwined in our lives. I mean, it, you just can't remove it from our lives. I mean, it you can't live without it. You need it to function. So I think it is, it's totally entwined in our lives. Uh, your attitudes towards it are going to be shaped growing up one way or another. And I think it's just up to you whether you're going to take lessons or reflect on that or not. And I think a lot of people don't yeah. reflect on it. I think more people are likely, more people are likely to reflect upon it who are in who come from trouble getting having money early on or struggling than those who do have it. But I, I think it's it's imperative that everyone kind of look at money and and reflect on what it is. I think it has to be done or, or you're going to learn the lesson, a hard lesson. We're going to talk about some of those lessons after our break. But if you're brand new to the Stacky Benjamin show at the halfway point of every show, we have our trivia challenge between our three frequent contributors. Len Penzo is here playing as Len Penzo. And Doc G today is on Team OG, so we'll keep the G's together. And Tiffany, you are Team Paula Pant today. And Tiffany, that means I've got some good news for you and I've got some bad news for you. Which one would you like? Let's go with the bad news first. (laughs) Well, the bad news is you're going to be guessing in the middle because for some weird reason, Paula Pant's not in last place, which is where she's been forever. And, <laughs> and this year, she's tied for first. And only because of the fact that Len has won more recently than Paula has, does that mean that Len has to pick first? So Len, so far this year, has 11. As we move into the fall, Paula has 11 and OG has eight. OG got uh, uh, Doc your team OG, you guys got one closer last week. He was down by four. Now he's only down by three. So moving into the fall, can Doc G 
Asking, asking Doc G if he can do this, by the way, for anybody that's ever listened to Doc G's frequent appearances on this show, <laughs> is like, th- th- there's no way in hell, Doc, that you're going to help OG get closer. We got a streak going, baby. A streak. <laughs> you did win last time, didn't you? You were on. Did I? I, I can't remember. I think, it must have been. It might have been so mind blowing <laughs> that I don't even remember. I, th- I think you did. So maybe you do have a streak. Well, either way, it's a streak for better or worse. But to find out who this week's winner is, we need a trivia question. And for that, we turn to my good friend, Doug. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'd like you to join me in the Stacking Benjamin's Time Machine. The year is 1958. The U.S. is experiencing a sharp rise in unemployment, and across the globe, a man by the name of Momofuku Ando is busy inventing what will later become a staple food of the unemployed, instant ramen. Initially nicknamed Magic Ramen, this dummy-proof meal was an instant hit, and the people of Japan later voted it the greatest Japanese invention of the 20th century. Really, people? Like, ever heard of a Walkman? Anyway, Momofuku's, in- <laughs> Momofuku's innovations in affordable, easy-to-make food continued with his invention of cup of noodles in 1971. It's crazy to think people who spent the 13 years in between those two inventions pouring <laughs> boiling hot water into, like, these flimsy plastic bags. Anyway, years later, finance guy turned chef David Chang opened his own restaurant in New York City and named it, of course, Momofuku, because that's a great word, Noodle Bar. Momofuku Noodle Bar. As a nod to the man who I'm not afraid to call the greatest inventor of all time. So today's trivia question is, what year did Momofuku Noodle Bar first open? I'll be back right after I figure out how to work these dang chopsticks. Uh, Momofuku, and by the way, true story, part of the reason David Chang liked the name Momofuku was because it just sounds, Doug, like you're swearing. It sounds, yeah. it so sounds like it. If anybody's ever listened to David- Every time I stub my toe, Momofuku. <laughs> well, if anybody's <laughs> ever heard David Chang speak, David Chang says the real version of Momofuku a lot. A lot? Uh, yes, yes. He would. We'd have to beep half the show off if we ever get David Chang. By the way, David, if you want to come on the show- I'm sorry, we're, we'd have to do what, we're, Joe? We're open to it. We'd have to beep it out. <laughs> Beep. I thought you said, okay, never mind. What? <laughs> so, so, uh, we start then with Mr. Penzo, Momofuku Noodle Bar. They have one of those in LA. Have you been? No. Uh, no, I haven't. No? It's good food. I just went to the one in Vegas a few weeks ago. Really? Interesting. Very good. Huh. Well, let's see. Uh, let's say, I don't know, 1977. 1977, Tiff? Well, uh, to Doug's point, though, you know, ramen still exists. Walkmans do not. So good, good point. Might be the good point. (laughs) I'm going to say. Well, Doug still has his, just to be fair. (laughs) And he actually doesn't even have the Walkman. To be even more fair, he's got the one with the CD man. Which skips as you walk down the street. Walk down. (laughs) Like whoever decided to put a CD player in a in a. Do you remember those? Those were too old. Yes. Yes. Anyway, have you been to a Momofuku? I have not. No. Have not. Not a Momofuku. But I will say 1980. Let's say 80. 1980. Len, what was your guess? 76. 
77. So we got them close together there, Doc G. So if I remember, David Chang is not that old. Have you been to Momofuku? I haven't, but I've heard of it, and I've seen him on TV shows. So I'm going to say my, my original guess was somewhere around the 2000s. So I'm going to say 19, she said 1980. So I'm going to say 1981, giving me all the upside above that, because I could have sworn that he's younger than that, and it's it's more recent. But you think it's way later. Did you just hit me with a price is right? Like oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Strategery. Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know that, Tiff. We call it uh, Chelsea Brennaning people, named after the wonderful Chelsea Brennan. But my guess was 2003 was like what came off the top of my head, so I'm going to guess 1981. 1980. It's, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on a second, Doug. Is Doc G actually confident? Was that confidence? It sounds, it's like a whole new man. That should is. scare you. That should, that should tell you that it's, I'm even more likely wrong. It's going to be like 1905. Dachi is one badass Momofuku. <laughs> I guess so. Yes. We will be right back after we play some Momofukin ads for you. <laughs> well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together we can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because... Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Len, you opened up the bidding at uh, at 1977. So the good news is if it's pre-77, you got it, man. I don't think I'm going to get this one. <laughs> 
Tiffany, as long as it's in like a two year range, you're good. Yeah. Yep. I've been prices right. So <laughs> yeah. here we are. <laughs> if it's, if it's what, uh, 1980 or 79, well, she's win. got it. She's got it. <laughs> no, she's got it from 80 to 90, 1990. Roughly. No, he went. Well, no, he, he took eighty one. You did nineteen. Oh, oh, I thought yeah. you said two thousand three. Oh, that's right. Oh, like. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All like right. he just thinks it's two thousand three. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. feeling a shortness of breath, Tiffany. It's because you're getting squeezed right now. <laughs> I feel it. I'm like, why did I even agree to this? No. Yeah. <laughs> there, there it is. Doc G, feeling good. I feel good, which actually scares me more because then it's going to be embarrassing with how off I am. But yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little more confident on this one than you. Okay, usually. let's play a game then, people. How off is Doc G, Doug? Let's go. <laughs> hey there, stackers. I'm uncredited spork inventor and instant ramen connoisseur, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Shortly before his death in 2007, Momofuku Ando fulfilled a long-time dream with the creation of one last iteration of his famed noodles, Space Noodles, which I've come to learn are not noodles from space. Anyway, today's trivia question was, what year did the Michelin-rated restaurant Momofuku Noodle Bar first open in New York City? The answer? Well, we don't just give it to you. I gotta make you do some math. I will let you know. That Len was just off by 27 years. Tiffany was off by 24 years. And Doc G off by just 23 years, meaning Doc was our winner because Noodle Bar opened in 2004. Which I was very close to, One by the way, with off. my 2003. Yeah. You should have just guessed this 2003. Is, record this. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say record this, but I know we're recording this. You know what, Doc? You can't do that. You can't say you're off by one year when you said 1981. Right. You were off now that's by a sore loser. Now that is a sore loser. Len, I know you're not feeling good about yourself right now. It's okay. Doc wants to get it's two okay. credits. Remember, you still have 11 and OG only has nine. I like how Doc has already done the math for him. He's like, and I have nine. And one of those is mine. But can I tell you... It's a streak of two, baby. <laughs> we may never see this in the likes of trivia again, where Doc G gets two in a row right. Wait a minute. Does that mean that Doc G is streaking? Does that mean you're streaking? That, <laughs> We're streaking. Is that something else? All right. Time for the second half of this show. Uh, the second half, Tiffany, is brought to you by depositaccounts.com. You know what happens when you go to depositaccounts.com? What happens? <laughs> She, she looked like I have no idea. She's answering a question with a question. You can't do that. <laughs> Please tell me, Joe. Yes. That is, uh, you'll find that there are more than 275,000 deposit rakes from over 11,000 banks and credit unions that you can compare one against each other at uh, depositaccounts.com. Listen to this. Uh, savings accounts. And of course, this is uh, several days before you hear this. So just go to depositaccounts.com to check these out for yourself. But as we record this, the national average on a savings account in America, 0.43%, 0.43. But the average of the top 1% savings accounts, 4.66%, over four points higher. CDs, top 1% average, 5.53, where the national average is 3.67. Money markets, top 1% average, 4.49, national average 0.74. So you just go to depositaccounts.com and you can check those out for yourself and maybe score yourself a much higher rate on your savings. All right. Uh, let's save people. Let's not save them some money. Let's save them some frustration because I think Doc G we'll start with you. We talked about 
starting by looking inward, right? And Tiffany talked about being woo-woo. But I think for you, I feel like this idea of gratitude is all over your book, Taking Stock, which is these messages from people when they're dying. And one of the messages I think is, is the woo-woo's the place to be. I think what we realize very quickly, and you know, this sounds in a sense very privileged, right? But this idea is that money is manageable, right? Whether you have no money or lots of money, there are techniques, there are rules, there are places to go learn and figure out money. It's eminently knowable. The problem is how we deal with our own trauma and how we use that money to make life better. It's a lot more gray. It's a lot harder to figure out for each of us what truly makes us happy, what fills us up, and then how to build the financial framework around that in order that we can kind of be living our best lives. And so that's why I think it ends up in the woo-woo. Like you, you can't get there unless you also do some of the hardcore financial work. But the ending place is trying to figure out what all this means and how to integrate it into a fuller sense of self. And, I, and, and so it is. It's hard. It, it's, it's not something that you can just go find on a blog post about how you invest in order to make a million dollars. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Len is funny. He brings up this idea in this piece that uh, Douglas does. He talks about maturity when we would mature. And he didn't say this, but I thought about this, about money, money maturity, right? Was, was there a time... When you transition from more and better, you know, Doc G was just talking about making life better for ourselves. to I have enough. I mean, is maturity knowing what enough is? That's an interesting question. Um, I've always managed my money. So I was always in a position that, well, I guess I've had enough. As long as I kept working, I had enough. I was good. And, and that includes saving for retirement and going forward. And then I think back to when I finally retired. And you know this, Joe. I, it was a struggle for me to retire. I mean, it took it, – it was hard for me to yeah. pull that trigger. Remember? Yeah. I mean, you guys were saying, when are you going to do it? You know? Like, yeah. And I had enough probably for two years, uh, but it, I was afraid again. There's that fear factor that comes in. Maybe I thought I didn't have enough, but I really did, and I just needed to pull the darn trigger. I mean, you just have to – it's hard. Especially if like if you're someone like me who's always, you know, you want to live way below your means and um, you're just overly cautious. So, yeah, I think uh, it's hard. I guess good for you if you can do it when you're younger. The mistake is, though, thinking you have enough and you really don't. So, I mean, that's the mistake you got to watch for. I mean, because that can be I mean, you can always go back to work, I guess. But um, and I've seen a lot of people do that, think they have enough and they retire and then they unretire. Yeah, but don't you think our brain overplays that though? Like I feel like our brain plays that card way harder than it ever happens. Like there are yeah. far there are far more ghosts and demons in my head than there are out there really waiting for me. It's amazing like when you do retire and you do you cut back well, at least I do. I'll speak for myself. We cut back on our spending, obviously. And you don't spend as much as when you're working. I mean, when you're working and the money's coming in, you, you know, you spend a lot freer. You adjust when you retire and you don't need as much. You really don't. You don't need as much when you retire. You need a fraction of what you of what you had when you're working. At least I did. So um, – and even then I was saving most – of, most of the money that I was spending, I found out getting close to retirement. I was just socking it away. So you know what I'm saying? It's like most of my income was being socked away anyways. It's like I really wasn't living large. It was just, I was just saving a ton. That's what it was. And, and you know, you don't really realize that until you retire and you're like, well, wait a minute. All that money, where was it going? Well, it was going into my savings. 
you know, investments and all that good stuff. It's like when your children leave home and you realize that some of the expenses, uh, for me anyway, uh, for college were actually a cost transfer. Like college was, don't get me wrong, college was expensive. But for the part that, that we paid for, like meals as an example, we were already yes. feeding my kids. So yes. that bill, I was paying that bill anyway, and, and, and we made it through college years much easier. I mean, I feel like there's some of that cost transfer that happens when you retire as well. Or, you know, you don't got to wear the, the whatever you dressed in, your whatever exactly. uniform you wore to work anymore. Commuting you costs don't have are down. Commuting costs, yeah. Yep. Like, Joe, of- for this job, I save a ton of money on pants compared to my previous job. <laughs> he doesn't wear any Let's pants. See. <laughs> Stand up, Doug. Please don't. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and there Please go the don't. YouTube ratings. YouTube ratings are done, <laughs> and we're done. Tiffany, when you're working with people, what does uh, money maturity look like to you? Yeah, so here's the thing, right? Everybody wants more. It doesn't matter how much you have. Everybody wants more. Um, I've seen millionaires, they want more. I've seen people that make $10 an hour, they want more. Everybody wants more. But I think where you reach the maturity, and I'll do air quotes, factor is when you have a comfortable place for you. So let me give you an example, right? Right now, doing what I do, I make less money than when I was in corporate America. But guess what? I have way more fun. I'm way more happy. I'm not as stressed, that type of thing. So for me, I feel like I have reached maturity, air quotes, because I'm at a place where I am happy and comfortable at the same time. So I feel like, and I know I sound so woo-woo, but I feel like once you get to that point where you feel comfortable, that's when you have reached maturity. Because, you know, we see on Twitter and all that stuff all the time where they're like, oh, you can't survive off of 100,000. And I'm like, I can. And I know a bunch of other people that can too. And so it's really all about perspective. And for me, I'm like, right now I'm comfortable. Am I making as much as I was in uh, corporate America? No, but my quality of life is so much better. And so, yeah, I would pick this over anything else. You know, it's funny, Doc, what Tiffany's talking about, and this has been, you know how I don't know. Every year I feel like there's different things in the zeitgeist. There's different uh, topics that are flowing down the river. And the one I keep hearing a lot this year is this idea of currencies, that money's one currency, but there's these other currencies that we need to buy. Like, you know, Len, the currency that you can't get back because you stayed another year at work because of fear is that time. You know what I mean? That time is another currency. Happiness is a currency. Like, Doc, I feel like, I don't know if you're seeing this on Earn and Invest as well, but this currency idea keeps coming up again and again and again. I use the term tool, but it's the same. We make the mistake of thinking that money is the only tool, but we have other tools, right? I don't like using the word time only because time is unchangeable. But we have our youth, we have our knowledge, we have our connections, we have our passions. All of those also are tools or currencies that we can use. And I think a mistake that a lot of people make is they put off living the life they want to live because they feel like they don't have enough of that currency that they call money. And sometimes they're not using some of those other currencies to design their lifestyle today the way they want it to be. And I think that's actually maturity. Maturity has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's knowing the place, the role that money plays in your life, and then fulfilling the gaps left by maybe not having enough money with other currencies, other tools, other things that you can use to hopefully start doing those things you want to do in life because money only gets you so far. It just is a great tool, but that's it. 
I want to end this with another side discussion that he had, which is his cousin Kitty talked to him about, you know, these people that you're around and everybody, and Tiffany, you said this earlier about everybody's son has a different struggle. And Doc G, you really echoed that a lot, that we had all different things going on. When he was talking to his cousin Kitty, his cousin Kitty was talking about how there are family members, there's people who are not in the same place. They don't have gratitude. They're not happy. They don't feel fulfilled. He talks about them having a hole in their heart. I feel like, Len, there's, there's a lot of room here for those of us that listen to financial podcasts to realize that there's actually a lot of people with these hidden struggles, Len, and that you know we don't see them right away. You don't see these struggles outwardly. So maybe we got to have a little bit of uh, grace when we're around our fellow man as well. You know, that's something I still got to work on. It's like, you know, you'll see people, people that'll have a bad day or something. And you, and you're like, gosh, man, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, it's like, get a grip, you know, but you know, I, you know, I, you, you're right. There's always a story behind everybody's reactions to things. Yeah. Grace is a good word there, Joe. I, I you know, it just benefits all of us just to carry a little more grace in our lives. Well, and this is the part that I deal with, Len, right here. You don't have to react, Kitty told him. You don't have to react. You don't have to take everything personally, <laughs> which I totally do. That's just, the, that's just the way they are. Everybody's acting in the way they know best. You can't expect them to act differently. Did any of this, Tiffany, speak to you as well? Yeah. And I mean, to that point, we tell ourselves stories all day, every day. And this is something because I teach at a local university and I teach freshmen and we talk about this. I'm like, you know, if you're walking down the hallway and you see your favorite professor and you're like, oh, hey, but they don't say anything and they keep walking. You immediately go to, oh, they must not like me or, you know, something like that. What did I do? Right, exactly. But the actual situation is that maybe they had their headphones in, maybe they didn't see you, maybe they didn't hear you. But we tell ourselves stories all day, every day. We're excellent storytellers. But I feel like we have to realize when it's a story that we're telling ourselves versus when it's a true fact. And a lot of people that come to me, they're like, oh, I'm horrible at money or I don't know anything about money. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's true because, you know, you're here right now. (laughs) And, you know, I'm sure you know more than let's say your kid knows about money. We don't give ourselves enough credit on a day to day basis with what we have, what we know, what we what we're blessed with, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah. You, you must have actually seen this last one on the list, Doc, with patience. If someone is difficult, they are actually the ones who are suffering. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great message. And this goes back to what Tiffany was, says, was talking about, too, is the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and about our world. And so you will find that you are more calm, more happy, and you have a lot more grace if you start telling yourself the story of this person is interacting in such a way that doesn't feel good to me, not because I did something wrong, but because it's a reflection of their inner turmoil. And so when you do that, I mean, of course, we should also look at ourselves and be introspective enough to know when we're doing something wrong. But in those cases, when people rub us the wrong way and we're like, look, I didn't do anything, a lot of times it's a reflection of their inner turmoil. So if you can have some grace for that, it just makes you less angry. (laughs) It makes you question yourself less, but it also allows you to give some people some space and time. And I think it's just a generally healthy way to look at the world. And it it is (laughs) self-preserving as well as being graceful towards other people. It's self-preserving because you're not developing all those bad hormonal feelings we get when we feel like people are being mean to us. The stories Tiffany's talking about that we tell ourselves all the time. Yeah. 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 I got to share real quick. I, I had a product here at home that broke 
And so I called a company and I got attached to the customer service rep. And I, and he was, we were going round and round and I was getting upset. Okay. So I was trying to keep calm, but eventually I, I called it this damn product. It's like, I paid good money for that. And, and, you know, it shouldn't have broken and you guys should have to fix it. And he's like, sir, calm down. If you're going to use the D word, I'm going to hang up on you. And I'm like, that word's used every day. I, I wasn't directed at you, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, sir, if you can't be more professional, I'm going to hang up. And I was like, me be professional? I'm the customer. You're the, <laughs> the you're the customer service guy. Why do I have to be more professional? <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. The guy's telling the customer to be more professional. It's like, no, you got to put up with my, with my frustration. I got in trouble for that once too, Len. I was uh, on my book tour. There was a location and um, this location sent me a contract that was not at all, was not at all fair. And I wrote back, I said, hey, so-and-so, you put my feet to the fire with this, but because we're closing in on the date, there's nothing I could do. So I'm going to sign your stupid bad word Mm -hmm. contract. I said, but just, I just want to let you know that I'm not happy about it. Woke up the next morning and uh, the guy's manager said, nobody swears at my employees. You're not coming here. You're not coming here. And I wrote back to him. I said, I wasn't swearing at your employee. I was swearing about this stupid contract. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I wasn't directed at the customer service person at all. It was directed at the product. I said, the dude was fine. He was fine. But this practice is still stupid. I don't care about coming or not. This is dumb. This is highway robbery. So anyway. And I mean, to Lynn's point, I used to be that person on the other side. You know, I used to be a customer service rep. It was for Xbox. So it was dealing with the angry parents because their kids like spent a ton of money on the Xbox. But the thing is, when people were nice to me, I was able to work with them more. If they came on and they were just screaming and yelling and, you know, cursing, all that stuff. I did the same thing. We had the same script. Calm down (laughs) or I'm going to hang up. And, you know, we're allowed to hang up if it continues. And so for me, if somebody had the same issue, but they were nice about it, I would work with them, maybe give a refund, you know, whatever. If they had an attitude, oh, that was it. I already shut down at that point. And so here's a tip to save money. Be nice to your customer service reps. Oh, I totally, (laughs) totally agree. And you know what? Had I not said that bad thing and instead gone, hey, let's just keep negotiating, you know, because there's no way I want this in there. We probably would have done our event at that place. But because I got hot headed, it went off the rails totally on me and totally. I can just imagine, Len, you're never a hot head, I bet. Well, I told you I, I did, but I mean, it was frustrating. I mean, I didn't start off hot head. It was a long yeah. conversation that was going nowhere and I got frustrated. Yeah, yeah. It's a great place to leave it. Be kind to your customer service reps. Uh, let's find, tip your wait staff. They're here all week. Uh, let's find out what's happening uh, where all of you guys work. The, the cool projects you're working on. We'll have our guest of honor, Tiffany, go last. So Len, what's coming up at lenpenzo.com? This week we look at, have you ever looked at a dollar bill? Have you ever, like, especially at the back of a dollar bill, all those weird symbols and stuff that are on there and there's a lot of fascinating history and trivia about some of those symbols and things that are on that back of a dollar bill. So if you're a big trivia pursuit fan or you know you, you play trivia games, stop on by lenpenzo.com and you can I'll tell you all the secrets there are to know about the dollar bill. For example, did you know on the back of the dollar bill there is what some people call an owl, others call it a spider, but you'd have to look very hard to know where it's at. So I actually 
took a picture and I circled it. You can see it there. So those oh. are the kind of things I share with you. Get to see the owl spider, but only if you go to lenpenso.com. Yes, hard-hitting personal finance at lenpenso.com. Do I remember this right? After the movie National Treasure, where it was there's stuff hidden on the dollar bill. And, yes, and so I, yes. I remember after watching National Treasure, Nicolas Cage diving into that. Don't watch National Treasure. Wait, come to my yes. vlog. Don't go to <laughs> National Treasure. I, I did not mean to upstage lenpenso.com, which is clearly better than a Nicolas Cage movie. Duh, come on. <laughs> Doc G, what's going on at Earn and Invest, man? We just dropped an episode with Steve Adcock at Steve on Speed on X what? or Twitter. I don't know what you call it Steve nowadays. Steve on Speed? Steve, that's the name of his Twitter oh, account, okay. at Steve on Speed. Like, he did a wait, wait a minute. Wow. He's an awesome dude. He did a thread <laughs> about hard love or tough love for people in their 20s. And it's a series of financial points that people in their 20s miss and what he's learned in his 40s about what he should have done. Good stuff from Steve Agcock on the Earn and Invest show, where finer podcasts are distributed. And not so fine ones, too. <laughs> Wherever you find your podcast, fine or not. Tiffany, it's about time we got you here. Let's make sure we do this more often, if that's all right with you. Yeah, sure. Happy to. She's like, except the trivia part. Right. <laughs> I just know I need to guess last so I can hit the one dollar. But um. Yes, it's easier. She's it's like, tell easier. me when I'm playing for the person who's in last place. And that's when I'll come on. Right. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got to be strategic. If you don't mind, let's talk specifically about the podcast. What's coming up? A bunch, a lot. Um, <laughs> we cover a bunch of stuff, but really I was, I wanted to talk about the blog ah, though, because yeah, because I'm doing a whole bunch of career articles because I realized that now is a great time for people to switch careers if they wanted to do so. Um, I talked about it on my last po- uh, couple of podcast episodes ago and I talked about the job market. Now is a great time if you want to switch. So I'm doing a lot of content around switching careers, how to navigate uh, raises, negotiations, things like that. So you can find that on moneytalkwitht.com. Awesome. And we will link to that on our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. By the way, shout out to here to uh, Douglas Soy for this amazing piece. We'll also link to that. Uh, Life will always be hard from the Money Meaning blog. All right. That is a lock. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Tiffany Grant and find simple ways to make good money habits part of your daily routine. Second, be careful you aren't perpetuating past financial traumas through frugality. Instead, be grateful for past money lessons so you can make adjustments to your behaviors to break free of those traumas. But the big lesson... Don't throw a whole cup of noodles against the wall to see if the noodles are cooked. Unless you've got two cups of noodles. Thanks to Tiffany Grant for joining us today. You can find out more about her work at moneytalkwitht.com. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Doc G for joining us today. You can find his podcast, Earn and Invest, wherever kind of okay podcasts are found (laughs) and thanks to len penzo for joining us today you can find len penzo at lenpenzo.com slash i paid my water bill this show is the property of sb podcasts llc copyright 2023 and is created by joe salsi high our producer is karen repine This show was written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. 
Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course, you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of this show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Youngkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. Say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Tiffany, welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What what happens here stays here. Did you when you we used to listen to our show? Did you find the after show? Of course, did you know it was here. I listened to the whole thing from beginning to end. It always cracks me up though when people are like, "I've been listening for six months and I just found it." What? Which is wait, wait, there's awesome. an after show. What? <laughs> perfect, perfect. But see, that just goes to show that they don't binge it enough. Because if you binge it, it'll automatically get to the after show. I swear to God, Doug, I owe Tiffany like 20 bucks for the gracious <laughs> yeah, references. What you missed before you even came on the first time, before you forgot to hit the record button, was Tiffany saying that we need to have a whole episode of Doug outtakes. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my that's God. Why, that's the moment that she became my manager. <laughs> Don't make his head bigger than it already is. Holy you have no idea what you're doing. You're creating a monster. Well, he was telling us about all the stuff that doesn't make it on the show. And I'm like, oh, I love Doug's stuff usually. So <laughs> a whole episode. <laughs> I will say, Joe, lately, as I've been listening to the finished product, I, I'm remembering our conversations when we record it. And I think, oh, there's something funny coming up. And then <laughs> gone. No Doug. Anywhere. Funny comment evaporated. Joe, into just blame it on ether. Steve. Joe, just blame it on Steve. <laughs> just... Let's just put it this way, that that if half of uh, Doug's outtakes made it on air, uh, he wouldn't be able to run for public office. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. Again. Again, that's right. If we need him to, we need him to run in uh, 2024. By the way, Len, just a quick note to you. We've had two people so far that have emailed me saying, hey, 
can I get one of your CDs? So I, I probably shouldn't say this out loud with the thing running because we're going to get a run on them, but I need to give you some addresses for people for some CDs. You should be charging a lot of money. for. And by the way, somebody else in the basement said you can actually find the tracks. Apparently I haven't verified this myself, but on Amazon, on Amazon music, if you get Amazon, do, do any of you use Amazon music? I have, but not in a while. I'm going to look it up. You can find, you can find lens band, the what? relics. Uh, on Amazon Music. Did you know that, Len? No way. That can't be. That's impossible. A dude said he had your song, that he had Vancouver, and he added on it to Amazon his Music playlist. It's the internet. On Amazon Anything Music. possible. I, I sense copyright infringement going going wild right now because I get okay. nothing uh, from Len, it. Yes. <laughs> when I get the results, the only three artists are, when I type in The Relics, is it R-E-L-I-C-S? Yes. Yeah, I just get Pink Floyd, Relic, and Relic Hearts. There you go. That's good. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> yes. Someone's yes. just lying. Someone in the basement's yeah, lying. They're true. just making stuff up. <laughs> yeah. It's on my playlist. I swear to God. I am going to put it on Apple Music, though. I, I will. I might as well do it after 25, 35 years. I yeah, should. Pink Floyd's got an album named Relics. Yeah. But we did have we did have a after show a little while ago where we were talking about music that we're listening to, and a lot of people like that one, like some music recommendations. So uh, why don't we do that again? If everybody's got like a song that they listen to that um, people might not yeah, know. Yeah, we just did that. We just did that, didn't we? It wasn't that long ago. We did that a few weeks ago, yeah. like a month ago. Time flies, Len. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's been, uh, uh, it's been about a month. <laughs> but Len, there is, you go to Apple Music and search The Relics. There is a band out there called The Relics. It's recent. They've got a single they just released about two months ago. Called Vancouver. Um, top <laughs> songs tonight's the night roundabout standing tall it's all right uh, they kind of baby they, blue well they they're not the original I, right. I'm 35 years that band's been around well my band 35 the relic so uh, I would sue their pants off <laughs> <laughs> watch out relics Len's coming for you Doc G got a song you've been uh, binging at lately this is embarrassing but I've been listening to a lot of Sabrina Carpenter lately I don't even know who Sabrina Carpenter is. She has a song called Nonsense. It's kind of fun pop. She's, a, you know, I don't know. But I like, the, I like her album, actually. So it's very pop music. Yeah. She's like, an actress, singer. If you ever had, a, if you have kids, the show Girl Meets World, like this was like 10 years ago or so, she was in it. And then she's like a pop star in her 20s, 30s. Yeah. Tiff? Well, uh... My kids call me a boomer. Uh, so. <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> right. <laughs> I listen to a lot of what they consider older music, but really it's just like the 2000s. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I listen to a lot of like Erica Badu and ah. um, Lauren Hill, you know, that type of yeah, yeah, flow. Yeah. So that's the type of stuff I listen to. I was actually looking at my Spotify trying to give y'all a good one, but um well, yeah, I'll, just along those I'll lines. come back to you or just jump in if you got one. Len, what, what's been on your playlist lately? Oh, lately it has, it's been a lot of jazzy stuff, you know? Oh, the yeah. Old, uh, I hate to bore everybody, but uh, smooth jazz, which I just saw there was a survey, the genres of music that are most popular. Where did I see that? Gosh, it was like, uh, you know, rock and roll was, was rock and pop was number one. And then hip hop was there. Oh, country, then hip hop. And then at the very bottom, like only like 12% of the people is the smooth, is the jazz. It's That's jazz. it. It's the jazz. Yeah. Jazz stuff. But I, I heard you say smooth jazz though, Len. 
Well, there's two kinds. You know, there's, there's like the felonious monk stuff, the real sure. hardcore stuff that, and, and then there's the yeah, the smooth stuff that's more palatable for people. That, you <laughs> know, David Sanborn, Lee Ritten, yeah, that David kind of Sanborn stuff. stuff, stuff. Yeah, exactly, stuff like that. You can't so. tell which way Len leans on this one. You know, the stuff that's more palatable that humans can listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, for most stuff people, that no, make it, you barf. no, no, the other stuff's really good too. I mean, it's te- technically incredible. Who needs I mean, Coltrane? Yeah, but yeah. I love the old 40s jazz, like that station on um, on XM. Cheryl will uh, make me turn it after like an hour. She's like, can we listen to something that's not from our great-grandparents' age? <laughs> Doug, how about you, man? Well, it's funny that Len brings up jazz because I listen to the barfy, uh, unpalatable, uh, really they call it cool or bop from the 50s and the first part of the 60s, but a lot of lately a lot of Cannibal Adderley, a lot of West Montgomery, um, some Oscar Peterson. So I'm also a big jazz fan. I went through a regrettable smooth jazz period myself. Man. I mean, we all have done it. Yeah, you don't really want to admit that. I mean, to I mean, it's the Kenny G and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't talk. About oh my. Well, actually, he was the one guy that was banned. But I have hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars of smooth jazz CDs in my collection. So I I I'm pretty well versed in that crap. I mean, that stuff. But. Um, you know, the other thing, Joe, that uh, lately with the death of uh, Robbie Robertson, I got back. I've always been a Robbie Robertson fan. But for anybody who's listening who hasn't spent any time with his first solo album from 1987, it is remarkable. The production quality, you look at the uh, cameos of the people who are so so um, respectful of Robbie Robertson and would do anything to participate in an album. Bono sings backup on that. Sting sings backup. Bo Deans are on that album, Joe. I mean, people are just like, can I play with you? Can I play Mm -hmm. with you? And the big track from that album was Somewhere Down the Crazy River, which got a lot of airplay and, and a lot of you may remember. But honestly, the other... The other tracks on that album are as good or better than that one. So that's what I've been spending time with. Robbie Robertson's first solo album. I love how Tiffany's thinking, my kids call me a boomer, and this music everybody else is talking about is way more. Yeah, we're really nice. I'm <laughs> like, y'all are making me look real good. Yeah. <laughs> Where are my kids? Get in here. <laughs> Listen to these idiots. Yeah. By, by the way, two recommendations I have. Uh, one combines uh, jazz with my love of uh, all things Disney. Uh, Dave Diggs Disney, which is Dave Brubeck. Talk about good oh, jazz. Yeah. Dave, oh, yeah. Dave Brubeck Absolutely. has a fantastic uh, album of him doing Disney songs. Mm. And another one, Doug, you'll appreciate this one. I've been watching The Bear, trying to catch up with Doug on this oh, great yeah. series, The Bear. Tiffany, familiar with The Bear? No. Chicago uh, restaurant. They're opening a restaurant in season two. On Hulu. Yeah, it's a really good series. But the soundtrack from The Bear is an amazing soundtrack. You watch that show with Shazam open on your phone. It's all over the place. I mean, there, there's a little bit of everything yeah. on this. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty well. So I'll give, well, really quick. <laughs> like, um, Do it. I'll give one uh, and actually found this on Facebook. So, you know, I was just mindlessly scrolling, uh, but it was called Lucky by Tish Hyman. And it kind of goes in theme with the whole theme of today's show. But um, it's really good. I really like it. And so I played Lucky. in the morning as like my, you know, hmm. I feel good today. Get you um, going kinda, mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, 
you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.